Hey, this is Brandon Sanderson, author of Mistborn. Welcome to the Legendarium. You can build your own essence marks Absolutely. by creating your own, it's other than a physical stamp on your forehead, which if you need that, by all means, go ahead. <laughs> I believe they call that a phylactery. You'll, you'll, <laughs> you'll look a little weird doing that in a business meeting, but hey, if it helps. <laughs> Welcome back, everybody. Welcome to the Legendarium Podcast. I am Craig Hanks, your host. And over there, he's thornier than a rose bush, and just as likely to be planted right outside your window. It's Ken Johnson. I am gonna soul stamp your face. And just when you thought it was safe to go back in the water, turns out he peed in it. It's Todd Wenty. I have a small bladder. I'm sorry. And he's not the weirdo this podcast needs, but he's certainly the one it deserves. It's Ryan Bruckman. <laughs> yes. Hi, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> You actually do have a bit of a Batman voice going on today, don't you? If I really were to go grow Swear to me. Wow. <laughs> Let's not do that again. <laughs> wow. That was that was frightening. Uh, all right. Before we get started on the Emperor's Soul, I want to point out to everybody, uh, patreon.com slash legendarium. I've made the call many times. I'll make it again. Please go support the podcast. Actually, one more reason you'd have to go there now is that that's where I'll be posting our uh, Star Wars discussion. We went this weekend and saw Rogue One and had about a 20-minute conversation about that, and I'll post the audio there on Patreon. Don't worry, you do not need to pay to get it, but it is a good place for us to throw the MP3 without uh, cluttering up our RSS feed with just a few minutes of audio. So go check it out there, uh, hear what we had to say, and uh, just find out you know how much you want to kill Ken after that conversation. You know, that's up to you, I guess. Uh, another bit of housekeeping. Why? <laughs> Why? It's a constant state. It, it, of it's, it's, it's okay, <laughs> Ken. It's okay. <laughs> Just roll with it. Uh, I always do. So we are going to talk about The Emperor's Soul. A sh- uh, it's not a short story. It's a novella, I guess, which, as Brandon Sanderson says, is a short story for me. It's a, a novella that you can find in the Arcanum Unbounded edition that came out last month. It's also a standalone, uh, if you really feel like getting it that way. Anyway, I do want to say spoiler alert for that story in its entirety, as well as probably Atlantris, Stormlight Archive, maybe some of Mistborn's secret history with some of the stuff we may talk about. Uh, Basically, spoiler alert for most of the Cosmere. So if you're not uh, already familiar with those things that I mentioned, you may want to hold off if you're very excited about learning about those things anyway for now shall we recap it and then get started on the discussion absolutely all right last week in our discussion of fahrenheit 451 i mentioned that it's refreshing sometimes to read a piece of fiction that's shorter than our normal fare and that's driven by philosophy rather than story or world building it can be exhausting and certainly time consuming to get to know everything about the politics religion and key players in a 700 page novel This feeling is familiar to Brandon Sanderson fans, and indeed, I offered Sanderson as the epitome of the author who buries his philosophy under several layers of story. Whoops. As it turns out, I had, sitting on my shelf for months, a wonderful example from Sanderson himself of just the sort of style I had juxtaposed him against. The Emperor's Soul is a 100-page novella about the complexity of a life and how small decisions have a dramatic effect over what we eventually fashion ourselves into. Shay is a forger, someone who uses magic to change one object into an imitation of another. She is caught, then forced by the ruling council under threat of death to secretly forge a new soul for the emperor, who, after 
after an assassination attempt, has lost all cognitive function. Shay spends the next three months learning everything she can about the Emperor, his personality, his past, his hidden secrets and motivations, all in an attempt to counterfeit a life. Tension comes in her knowledge that whether she succeeds or not, forces around her are conspiring to kill her at just the right moment. In the end, she does succeed and escapes into the countryside, leaving behind a counterfeit emperor who, as her forgery takes hold, will eventually become a better man than the real thing had been on track to be. This is, on the thin surface, a story about a young woman who forges someone else's soul. Ultimately, though, it's about what we are all doing every day to understand ourselves and to forge our own souls and our own futures. So, Ryan, this is not your first time through. Nope. What did you think of The Emperor's Soul? What's your first thought? Um, so, the first thing, my first time through uh, reading this, I had um, a decent understanding of the Cosmere. Um, not as much as I do now. Uh, and I really, <laughs> uh, first thing I really love about this story is how different it is from the Elantris story while existing inside the exact same uh, atmosphere, right. same planet, everything there. Um, and I mean, really in your review, you hit the major points. This is a wonderful story about the power of uh, the little things, the little important things that we tend to take for granted. And I think this is one of the reasons a few podcasts ago, I don't remember which one, I talked about how if I wasn't going to introduce someone to Brandon Sanderson through um, Mistborn, Mistborn or Stormlight, this is probably what I would turn them to because it's a short story that has a lot of uh, meaning in a very short, uh, you know, relatively short, 175 pages or so piece. Um, yeah, it's, it's just a really, really good piece. Um, that's I, I don't have a lot to to expound on that point of it. Sure. Yeah. Todd, what did you think of it? So, um, my in, in my initial thoughts, as soon as um, I, I knew about chops uh, about um, Asian signature yeah, chops, yeah, and I had no idea about it. So as as soon as they <sighs> said, might, you might want to explain what that is. Oh yeah, unless yeah, yeah. you're about to. Um, I uh, I certainly can. Um, the idea of of the Chinese signature chops. He talks in the in the epilogue about the idea that. Um, in Chinese and some other in the Chinese culture and some other Asian cultures, they will often carve small signature chops, uh, stamps that are made out of soapstone uh, and sometimes other kinds of soft stone that they will ink in red. Um, they are always inked in red, and that they will use to uh, sign official documents. That they will use those as their as their official signature um, in Chinese history, and today currently they do as well as a, kind of a throwback to, to older styles. But these are are chops that, uh, or the chops that are used, oftentimes were also used to indicate ownership of an item. Um, and so uh, Brandon Sanderson in his epilogue talks about going through a, a, a museum of Chinese history and seeing items that had been signed, that it had chops of owners placed on them next to the chop or the signature of the creator. And he's, he said in his thing it seemed kind of like owning a statue of Michelangelo's David and liking it so much that you put your name across the chest. Um, and and I, I kind of chuckled to myself, but in the, in the culture of, in the, in the Chinese culture, it's not quite that uh, disrespectful, but it is an, uh, an integral part of their culture. And so when I read that, when I heard about the seals, I was like, oh, I know exactly where this is headed as far as a tool. And I was glad I was right. Um, but I, the thing that I liked the most about it was how 
it wove into a magic system that for the first time in my experience with Sanderson's work was based on study and practice, not on something inborn in you that gets manifested at a point of some kind of traumatic event. Um, you don't learn to be a mistborn. You are one. And it takes something. I mean, something, you got to practice it. Well, it takes something to well, after bring you, it out of yeah, you after, after you, you traumatically snap it. Right. After you snap. Now, do we know that about this magic system? I think we do. I, I'm not so sure. At I, least it feels like it from the Emperor's soul. Uh, granted, yes. I think there would be room, though, for him to later say that these people had to snap at some point. Absolutely. Had to be invested with that power. Though I don't know that. Uh, I don't know uh, that, but I'm saying there's it, room for it. It's certainly. It certainly feels, based on this on this piece, um, when she talks about the fact that when she first started to practice at age eight, mm-hmm. um, that after she had the crap kicked out of her by her dad, that, or something. <laughs> <laughs> that it that it is that it is based on a learning. It is it is an understanding, um, and like all things, there's probably a measure of talent. Well, yeah, I would just point to somebody like Kelsey or when Vin is watching yes. Kelsey in the first book, like, yeah, she's got these powers and they're, well, maybe not inborn, but yeah, she's been invested with these <coughs> powers. But then she watches Kelsey and she says, oh, this is what it looks like when you've made a study of the sure. of steel pushes and iron poles and all that, you know. Uh, so, yeah, I, I, I'm not sold on the idea yet that this is totally different from the other magic systems in the investiture way, but yeah. Would you like me to answer? Ah, dang it. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I guess. No, wait a minute. Let's, how did you guys let's, not? Let's have Ken give his initial thoughts because we haven't heard from Ken yet. I liked it there. Go, Ryan. I want to hear this. <laughs> <laughs> have you guys not been reading ours, or Ar- the uh, Arcanum Unbounded? Uh, yeah. Pieces. So, <laughs> what makes this unique versus something like um, well, Mistborn or whatever? Okay, so it's tied to the geography. It is. It's Cell uh, is the planet that it's on, and Cell is one of the few realms that uh, it suffers. I'll say suffers. Has two. Right? Has Dishardic. Yeah, Dishardic. it's Dishardic. Ooh, I just pulled that word out. I am so impressed with myself. Uh, dealing with both the shards of dominion and devotion. Now, the problem is that both of these shards are trapped in the cognitive realm. Their physical presence has been barred for a while. It's called the door, their, right. their ability to interact. And so Elantris... We talk about the allowing that power to come back through. Right. And they're like ripping a hole into the cognitive realm. Basically, right? they're, they're providing an, a gateway for the door to come through, a door into for the, the door to come through realm. into the physical realm right. and interact there. And because of... Um, <clears throat> sorry. the Because of how long it has sat this way, the landscape, the world itself, has started to become a living self-aware sentient thing being yeah so whether or not someone is born with it or not uh really is almost irrelevant to the to that concept because as soon as they allow whether it be through the stamp or through elantris or whatever as soon as they allow that piece to come through it the power is already there well but mm. I, my understanding through elantris though is that they had to go through the riode in order to be able to access the door, right? You had to be turned into an Elantrian, and then you're able to trace those symbols and free the door. Uh, and I'm... Do you see what I'm saying? So, yeah, I, I get that it's 
trapped and that it's tied to the landscape and it's all part of the land and everything. I get that. Mm-hmm. But I still look at um, at Atlantis and say, oh, there's your moment of investiture mm-hmm. uh, is during the Riode. Okay. Yeah. Right? I don't, I, but again, I don't, I don't it, know. I think it's... <coughs> Yeah, I, you could, we could, it's an arguable point, but. Um, Someday we'll get more Elantra stuff and then we'll, I don't know. Well, I, although I stopped and I didn't go on and read The Hope of Elantris yet. I'll probably do that. Either. I, I haven't, haven't either. I'll yeah, do that yeah. later today. Hmm. But anyway, so there could be more. Ken, Ken let's uh, actually hear something, some thought of yours. Do you have, uh, you know, a brain I, um, and stuff? I, th- I thought this book was, was outstanding. That was a novella. I thought this story was outstanding. I, I liked the fact that it was, well, in, in keeping with, you know, the part that that's me, Mr. Punchin, I, I liked the fact that this was a very um, thinking person's, you know. Yeah. I, 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 don't, I don't know what the word I'm looking for is. Introspective. You almost had it, Ken. I, that's not the right word, though. But the, it's, the lack of Punchin didn't offend you? No, I, I really enjoyed it, actually. I liked, I liked that it was a very, I, I guess introspective is the word, uh, story. There was a lot of, of what's going on as she deals with you know, 90 days in captivity and doing this impossible job and, and how she, she overcomes it. And there are so many great lessons that she she through the her narration through the narration discusses that I I just thought I want my kids to know these lessons you know these these hard truths that you know as life goes on life is hard don't whine about how it's hard deal with what you're in what's in front of you and and work through it and if you yes. can't then find a way to work through it you know she is it's, it's a great story. I think there's a lot of philosophy to talk to. Maybe we can we can certainly get to some of that. But uh, I do want to talk about the lack of punching. Yeah. And uh, although it, until the very end, which was exactly well, that I was, was going to say that it, was a great bit of punching. It threw you know threw me off a little bit. Oh my gosh! Now she's just ripping out spines and crushing skulls and all <laughs> that this stuff. That was so cool. And uh, <laughs> anyway, so I, yeah. I was thrown off a little bit, and I went and listened to, I mostly read the transcript of a, uh, a Writing Excuses episode where they uh, dived a little bit into the writing of this story. And um, I can't remember her name, the woman that's on Writing Excuses. Uh, she's kind of a short story uh, expert, and she asks Brandon, like, seriously? So... You basically got to this point and just wanted to have her punch some stuff, and he goes, "Yeah, pretty much." <laughs> <laughs> he, it's you know, author's prerogative. His his writing style um, continues to one one of the hallmarks of his writing style. Uh, Ryan said it really well. That cinematic feel that you're watching you, that that you you. I think that was Ken. Was it Ken or was it Ryan? Oh, it was Ken. The, Ken brought up the point, and I. Clarify, and I said that he had a very cinematic because okay. right. he said that he was he oh, loved right. being able to sit and just it ran as a movie. In it his was the concepts. Ryan actually knows words. It, it was before we had started recording. I said that <laughs> I cannot read a Brandon Sanderson book without the movie yeah. playing in my head, and not and not everybody has the imagery of as you're reading, you kind of get a mental picture of what you think. But I actually see 
his stories as movies. Yeah. Like I'm I'm watching camera angles and I'm seeing how this story, this scene interacts with the next scene and with the pre- previous scene. I can see movie. He does have a very cinematic writing style. And and for some authors, there there are some other authors that have a that have a grasp of that and that do a a fairly decent job of that. Um, but. But Brandon maintains it in all of the aspects of the storytelling. He does it with he does it well with people. He does it well with the with the combat scenes. He does it well uh, with the with all of the political intrigue that has to go on with it. Um, I think he does a wonderful job of of paying that level of attention of detail. And maybe that's part of why his books are always so large is that he devotes time and devotes attention to that level of detail that is that makes them feel very cinematic in nature. At least that's how I feel about it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I've got a few other things that I'd like to talk about, but maybe we uh, move to somebody else. Ryan, you haven't made a point in a little while. The We've talked about the magic system as a whole, but let's specifically touch on the stamps and how they work and things there because I, I, I'm always blown away by the unique nature of the magic in Sanderson's books. Even though they all have a common thread, they all have a common piece, their unique method of being applied. And in this case, the stamps... Um, I really appreciate the viewpoint of, I believe it's Gautona. Gautona is how Brandon pronounces it, Gautona. but whatever. We watch the, you watch, she has two sides that are currently pushing her. There's one side that's really concerned about the emperor, actually, that's actually concerned about the emperor, and the other side that is more concerned about making sure that she's in a position of power um, once it's completed. And. Uh, it's very interesting to watch what is considered to be an unholy art uh, be studied by someone who thinks it's an unholy art and come to understand it and appreciate it better uh, because it 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 requires something that every human being really should take the time to figure out and that's getting to know someone who's important to you by the by the in, the intimate details mm-hmm. you know it's it's more than being able to answer favorite color more than being able to answer, you know, favorite foods and things like that. But to be able to say that when this sort of thing happens, how will this person react? When you get to that point of knowing someone that well, that's that's really an impressive step of, of intimacy there. Knowing the fact that every time we get together that Craig has to physically restrain himself from throttling Ken <laughs> is, puts us at a very, very uh, connected level. Um, and I think that that element... Uh, as we discover more about the stamps throughout the entire story, uh, is is a is a great life applying uh, life applying lesson there. Um, know the details and uh, and tweak and alter the details as needed. Um, one of my favorite things about this whole story is that she makes the emperor better at the end. Yeah, Ooh, it, yeah, in a very controversial move. Yeah, yeah, it's I I. I I love that concept mainly because we watched. Uh, it made me think of Craig and I went and saw a movie not too long ago, Kubo and the Two Strings, and you got so irritated with the concept of rewriting the the bad guy's history as a lie, and that you know telling him he was good and everything was you know right. Well, and I was like, this this reminded me of that moment um, that you can change going forward as long as you know where you start. I yeah I. Did not think of the Kubo thing, but now that you make me think of it, it it feels very different in that if she had written him 
to simply be a good person now or a better person, that would be very different. What she did was she went far enough back into his past uh, and made a few nudges to memories and choices he'd made in the past Mm -hmm. that it would allow him to make those decisions for himself as he moved forward. I like the way that she described it, that you're, you're walking along a path and you decide to go off the path to avoid some rocky ground, but you walk along the, alongside the path, not realizing that you've left the path yet. And then you go to something a little spongier until you've done this long enough that all of a sudden you're in a completely different city and you wonder why the road signs didn't <coughs> tell you that while it was happening. Right. I love that feeling about how how she the 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 role of a forger is to go back and find those moments when the nudge stay on the path get off the path makes the difference and that for me was i i i found that i found that the most interesting part of the magic system that she was using you have to know the history and the spot where the history could be adjusted so one of my favorite things about this concept uh, that we're talking about right now is that there are a few instances during the story when Shay tells herself to become something, to, to become the type of person who can handle whatever situation she's in right yeah. now. Yeah. I need to become this. And it, it uh, first of all, what a fantastic use or what a fantastic skill to have Mm-hmm. Uh, in life, in your tool belt, to think, oh, yeah. you know, I can become something else. And the ultimate iteration of this is her own, what are they called? Soul stones or? Essence marks. Essence, yeah, marks. essence marks. Yeah, she has her essence marks. Uh, and so, I mean, she has a physical manifestation of this thing that can make her become something else. But that's not the only time she uses this concept. I need to, you know, become somebody who's more um, uh, clever or strong or whatever to get through this situation and she's just it's a mental exercise for Be her angry at the right things but um yeah. i i wonder about that i like i say i think it's really useful for us in real life to be able to say all right i need to become something else in this situation to make it through that but in order to do that with the essence marks or i would argue at all um in a certain situation, she had to first understand herself yeah. really, really well. She needed to be a lot more self-aware than I think people typically are. Uh, she says she studied herself basically for years and years and years before she was able to create these essence marks. And I thought that was a fantastic bit of philosophy and applicability where if you find yourself struggling to overcome certain things about your character or certain situations that you constantly find yourself in, um, I, that could be the answer. You need to know yourself a lot better before you can master the situations around you. So the reason that I'm chuckling and smiling about it is this was something that we actually did with my team at work. Um, there's a there's a company out that, that does a personality evaluation uh, called Blue EQ. Um, you can look it up. That if you're, sounds like a, an erectile dysfunction pill, by the way. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure it does. It actually did to me when we first heard about it. But uh, the idea is that it evaluates your emotional quotient, your 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 uh, uh, your EQ, as it's called right now, running around through through the business world in general. Uh, and one of the dimensions that they evaluated on was self awareness. 
Um, and it was interesting as I looked at my team, I had, I had the highest level of self-awareness in my, in my team. Congratulations. Let's but, move on. But it was, <laughs> but the thing that was interesting about it is one of my people looked at me and said, that's really high, but I would have thought yours would have been bigger because you always are trying to evaluate where mm. you are at. And I said, the simple fact that I, that I am introspective means that I am aware of how far I have yet to go, which means I'm going to be harder on myself for my introspection. She looked at me and she said, that's the weirdest thing I think I've ever heard. And I'm like, <laughs> and I'm reading it in Brandon Sanderson right here. as she talks about, no, you can't be this way. You have to be this way. So think about it. It, it was, it was, it was, it made me chuckle a couple of times. My wife looked at me and said, what are you, what, what is so funny? Never mind, dear. Listen to the podcast. <laughs> and I mean, it, as nice as it would be in life to be able to actually have an essence mark for each of us to be able to say, yeah, I need this skill set now, stamp, done. Um, the, the the hours and years it takes to, to learn about yourself and then to hone specifically that stamp to work the way it's supposed to, just apply that to and you say, I want to be a more patient person, I want to be whatever. Mm-hmm. Well, that's not, a, that's not a switch you flip in your head and mm-hmm. go, I am now this. As much as you want to try that, it's that introspection. It's going through and saying, what fine, minute details do I need to change? What are my triggers? What are those things that are going on? So that later on, a year down the road from now, I can actually feel like I have an essence mark and say, when a moment arrives, I need to be patient. Here's the essence step. It's a series of of thoughts, actions, deeds, whatever it is that you do that helps you get into that position. You can build your own essence marks by creating your own it's other than a physical stamp on your forehead which if you need that by all means go ahead Jed. <laughs> i believe they call that a phylactery you'll you'll, <laughs> you'll look a little weird doing that in a business meeting but hey if it helps <laughs> that was that no, was I the like ultimate that. takeaway i took from the book it, it was about it was about introspection about maturity about self-awareness and about using those things to your benefit i mean because my she does I it think, the think... emperor does it as yeah. a and, and as a practical matter we can do it too i'd like yeah. ryan what you just said was great uh identifying your triggers the things that make you not be what you want to be Mm -hmm. so you know you think about patience and i mean i'm a father of two and patience is required with especially my three-year-old but also sometimes the uh the little infant child Mm -hmm. uh but you know you think about the three-year-old and he he freaking loves zelda right now he uh, can't play it he's too little but he loves to watch me play it uh, and I don't always want to play it. And so I find myself getting annoyed sometimes, like, shut up, I'm doing something else. And so if I can identify the situations that I'm in when I lose patience with him, uh, when is it happening? Why is it happening? What am I doing about it? And can I, I, I don't have to say everything, I am going to be a more patient person all the time in every situation. I can find those little things and say, so the next time he comes and says, I want to play Zelda, but I'm doing something else. How am I going to handle that? What am I going to, uh, how am I going to craft my thoughts during that situation to make myself more patient and find just that little thing and then find another little thing that makes you lose your patience and target that. And if you do that on a, a, uh, you know, like with a scalpel instead of a broadsword, then you'll be able to make those changes more effectively over a longer period of time. As a, mm-hmm. as a parent with older kids, it it doesn't it doesn't go easier. away. Yeah. yeah, we all need Ken, to develop our dealing with Ken, idiots essence stamp. Ken, Ken and I are <laughs> Ken and I are looking at each other, and I know that Ken's got a daughter, and uh, Ken and I both have daughters going to the same university, and she's dating a boy, and mine's dating a boy. Uh, Can I borrow that baseball bat? Anyway, anyway. nope. <laughs> 
Uh, <laughs> anyway, maybe we should talk about some other stuff. So can I can I add something that that I there was one there was this is a thought that I had. I never I rarely add thoughts. Oh wait, no, never mind. I always add thoughts. <laughs> the journal, the Emperor's Journal. Um, when I was going through and, and reading this, I, when we got to the spot where she was reading through the journal and she said the journal had obviously been read, but the emperor had left instructions to have it burned at his death. So she said, oh, it's him going back and rereading his own journal. And I, I remembered having this moment. I, 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 have, uh, I have several journals that I keep concurrently. But I gotta be honest, I never go back and reread my own journals. I don't know why I'm, I, I, I know why I'm keeping them. I keep them for me as a, as a tool to help clarify my thought, to help crystallize some decisions and some, and some perspectives, to help me explore ideas. But I never go back and revisit them after I've done it the first time. And I found myself wondering, I, I, I wonder if that would, if that would change my ability to respond to situations if I did that. And I wonder if Brandon's, um, writing of that in this is something that he's discovered along the way, or if it's something that he wonders if it would be valuable. I'm, I'm I was fascinated by that. I do like you guys, that. do you guys keep journals, Ken, Ryan? No, I probably should. <laughs> After going back and reading a couple that I did keep, no. <laughs> Although I, I have found it's better for the world that I don't. I have found as I get notes. older that it does help me to write things down and clarify my thoughts. Oh. Oh Sorry. Wow. wow. That totally. Wow. Ryan just jumped. <laughs> I had like a stroke right here. I, th- I thought maybe I, I had was a bug crawl. And not body. one of genius, apparently. No, it is. Um, did you guys catch Hoyd? Uh, yeah, yes. Except he never actually shows up in the story. No, but, she, but, yeah. but the indication was there. I was like, doggone, I finally got something. <laughs> <laughs> He's the court fool, yes? Yes, it's another yes. name he goes by. Yeah. And he has the... Moon Scepter. Yes. Uh, yeah. Wait, he has the the Moon Scepter. Is that mentioned in any any other stories? Mm, not yet, right? Not. No. Oh, maybe okay. I'm thinking of something else then. But it's another item that we're like, okay, he stole it. He obviously wants it or whatever. So if you're following Cosmere on the Cosmere side of things, wait for Hoyd. There's there's <laughs> there's Hoyd's influence in this novella, and it's in it's something that he it's an item that he has. So obviously that means something. We just took a topical 180 at 65 miles an hour. I'm <laughs> reeling right now. That was really cool. Going, Why do you think I physically went? <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm like I, I I'm physically in pain trying to go from the philosophy to the Cosmere stuff. But go on. All right, I'm catching up. But. It, uh, the main reason why that caught me, like the the whole Hoyt thing in the Moon Sector, is I was actually thinking about um, the items that she kept changing as a forger, oh, like yes, in her, her room. room. Oh yeah, and oh man, I love that. I uh, you could very easily have written this like her entire time. Everything that she does is always focused on the Emperor, but a lot of the time that she's sitting there, she was just trying to figure out. You know, she's creating a stamp for the table so that the table's better maintained. So that this, ta- you know, there's a tapestry on the wall here, you know, just altering a history just a little bit here to create these things. And it it was just kind of this nice realization that in the midst of a death penalty sentence here, you still have to do the little things in life. You still have to take care of other <laughs> they help me little think. things there. And it was just thinking about those different items that she had worked on that got me to how she got caught in the first place, the Moon Scepter deal. So that's that's how I... 180 us into Hoy. <laughs> hey, well, <laughs> while we're here on the Cosmere, though, can we talk about how it appears that uh, Soul Stampery is uh, the one magic system that is is uh, 
blatantly aware of the three realms. I mean, it doesn't seem like the other ones are, but this one, she's fully aware that there is a cognitive, a physical, and a spiritual realm, There's and that forgery works on all three. We haven't had a lot of characters that are that are point of view that have those that perspective. There are that there is that in each of the other worlds. Do you think people who are aware of the other realms and everything? But most of those people, though, have tended to be Cosmere aware. Do you, do we think Shay is Cosmere aware, or is she so. simply realm I aware? I think it's just the magic that that lends it to I, I think it's the, understanding the forgers of the being aware that there are these three realms and the forgery works on those three those three realms yeah i'm i'm not sure on that i don't know if she's cosmere aware um as a whole but it wouldn't and surprise so me if she popped up somewhere else i i got a slight or i feel like i maybe got a slightly better understanding of the different realms and how they operate so i want to run this by you and see if this makes sense Basically, the physical realm is uh, things as they are, things as they exist. Um, the cognitive realm is the universe as we think of it, as, as we perceive it. And then the spiritual realm is how those things perceive themselves. Um, that's that's what it felt like when I was reading this story that it kind of boiled down to. And I wondered if that would give us some insight into... Uh, Stormlight Archive and, and when characters visit the cognitive realm and what's going mm-hmm. on there and how it operates. But I, I don't really it's know. You're, uh, that's not... I, I can't really say right and or wrong on that. The So they talk about, even in our uh, Arcanum Unbounded, how the cognitive realm has multiple locations. It's like the physical location type things that, that you can move between whereas the spiritual realm does not really it's just kind of this existence of different plane of consciousness it overlays it overlays the existing the existing realm yeah it's not the astral plane so to say that it's how they perceive themselves sure but i'm not sure okay well i guess i'm just thinking of in in both this case uh with shay and with um uh 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 yasna uh, who's her ward? Shalon. Shalon. Uh, in both cases, we learn that they are essentially convincing an object that it is not what it is in the physical realm that in order to change it. The, um, and, and so she talks about reaching into the spiritual realm and convincing this object that it is something else. And that made me think. Was of, it the spiritual or the cognitive that she reached into? Uh, she talks about how each object has a soul, you know, that kind of yes. Eastern yeah. philosophy and how um, that's where the spiritual realm is, is like, or okay. that's that's okay. where the uh, the self-awareness of all these objects resides is in that spiritual realm. So I thought that's where she was reaching to, to tell them that they were something else or that they had a different history. I guess the way that I looked at it and I was when I was trying to explain it in 30 seconds or less to my wife. Um, when I was trying to say this is how the, the, the way the system worked, and she's like, the what? The spirit? Huh? <laughs> I said, um, the way that I described it for her is the, the, the physical realm is the way that things are. The cognitive realm is what the item believes it to be, and the spiritual realm is how it is related to all other things. Um, and for me, that helped. Um, it's probably inelegant and inarticulate, and I've probably just said something that makes people say, "Todd, you're such an idiot. You don't understand." And that's probably true. But <laughs> we're going to get me, so many Reddit comments on this one. <laughs> for, for for me, it helped me, especially in light of several of the comments that Shay makes. All I have to do, all you have to do, is convince this that it would rather be 
Um, it, it had always seen, uh, she was talking about the stained glass window. Mm-hmm. It had believed that it was a stained glass window still, so it was easy to uh, create a stamp that allowed that to be. Okay, and I, I just did a little quick search just to try and clarify. I think you're you're more right um, on that than wrong regarding the spiritual realm, because it is... It, Who? You. No, okay. Um, and you know how much it pains me to say that you're right. Uh, on you things. know, you actually, <laughs> right after thinking. my intro, you said something about how I was right on, and I almost fell out of my chair. Um, so take, for example, uh, the use of gold uh, to heal in Mistborn. Okay. Whatever there. In order for the body to heal, it has to have a reference point on which it knows what it is and what it's supposed to be. Okay. That is the soul and the power of the spiritual realm is that identity of what you, what it is and what you should be in that. So yes, it is in essence the way that you see yourself, or the or what you what you are, or what an object is, exists in the spiritual realm like that. And so, in order to change it, you have to convince it there, most likely through its cognitive realm piece. Right. Ah, so so yeah, okay. So that that's the, the connection. Cognitive the cognitive is the intermediary between the two. Between the two, between physical and spiritual. It makes me wonder. Um, I, I think of Kelsier running around in the witch realm. In secret history, apparently he's in the cognitive realm. Then, okay, I but if it has a physical location, it's cognitive. Okay, so in Sandersonia, is (laughs) in in the Cosmere. That's a five-syllable word that you have just coined, and it earns you triple word score for the next three weeks. (laughs) I wonder, does a body have a soul that is different from a personality? I would mm. I would go to the um, I can't think of what they're what they're called right now the dull form people from Warbreaker. Uh oh oh yeah oh the dull form yeah whatever uh, or you could say the dull form of the Parshman not the Parshman the Parshman in, War, in in Warbreaker oh in Warbreaker oh uh, that's right that's right Warbreaker. the lifeless the lifeless oh yeah yeah, yeah yeah the people that they have given up their breath they've given up their investiture they've given up that basic piece oh drabs drabs that's the one I'm there looking you for. go. Yes, uh, what they made, uh, what's his bucket into? But yeah, that's <laughs> we're doing real well today. <laughs> <laughs> but that's that's kind of the reference point I would look at as to whether or not a personality and a soul and a body or whatever, like uh, how distinctly separate are they? Yeah. Well, these bodies are animate. Like they're animate objects. They've been invested with something to make them animate. Right. But they're not necessarily. It's not necessarily a soul or not. I'm not sure. Yeah, that's that's something. Just um, on a very personal level i'll let you guys into uh, something i've been wondering about for a long time which is how different you know we, we talk about how we think in our brains mm-hmm. and i i wonder how tied together uh, you know that is uh, are we actually thinking in our brains is our self our body or is our personality is our self something else and um, you know, I, I may, you know, I'll find out when I die. I it guess it sounds like uh, a very, me- a, a very <laughs> metaphysical kind of a conversation. It really is. I have no idea where to go with it, but um, but I do wonder about it. You guys want to take a hard one eighty back to a point we were discussing earlier that <gasps> I now have a, a maybe a better answer oh, for. So all of that was just distraction long enough for you to be able to look it up on your machine, to Google something. You know, this is why. This is why when I post these things on Reddit, I have people that come in and say, "Yeah, I liked it. It was a good conversation. Good conversation." 
you guys tend to follow tangents a lot. Have you noticed that? You're very tangential speaker. Yeah, yes, we've we noticed. Are. Yes, yeah. we are. Don't worry, we know. Anyway. We a legendarium forger to bring us back. I actually had somebody give me a Tangent Man shirt once. Um, <laughs> this is going back to your point about whether or not someone needs to snap. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Oh, snap. Your, so the, your soul or your spiritual, the, your, the part of you that exists in the spiritual realm is uh, frequently known as the spirit, as your spirit web. And uh, through a physical or emotional trauma, frequently there are cracks created in the spirit web. And it is easier for a shard to invest people who are damaged in this way. And investiture can enter the soul through these cracks, which is why alamancers need to undergo snapping. Um, and surge binders tend to have psychological problems. Um, it's, it's simply <laughs> easier. Wow. It's simply easier to... Okay. So to affect your so it's, essence of self. It's not absolutely necessary. Right. But it is It is easier because you have that identity of what am I mm-hmm. has been broken, whether by physical trauma or emotional trauma. And so they can invest on the spiritual side and say, you are different. You can do this because you have, now you've been cracked. I feel like so, this is more of a Cosmere 101 episode than our Cosmere 101 <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, just thought I would throw that out so there. The, so the it. abuse that Shay suffers earlier... Causes cracks in her spirit web and allows her... What what abuse? In her early life. What abuse? Before she's eight. I don't remember that. Um, Did she talk about it? She's making it up. I'm oh, you're it, making it up. I'm making okay. it up as he goes along. But Hard no, life I think regardless, she's eight. Even, even being that self-aware, though, would put you in a state uh, where you're learning about yourself enough to create essence marks. Could put you in a state where you are emotionally uh, aware enough that your state could be altered, that it would, oh. you could be invested. I could see that being a case. But yeah. Another you, way, of being, rather so than rather I mean, than being we, physically beaten into we it, we talk about we talk about um, lying to ourselves as a defense mechanism. I'm talking in real life, right? We we tell ourselves stories about our past and who we are and whatnot. We say and people listen to us. The nah. <laughs> and the idea. I mean, Shh, going back to our going back to our Shannara episode, one of the, the the great magic of the sword is it makes you confront yourself as you really are, and if you're not a very good person that's going to damage you uh, beyond repair it kills you in that story but you know in this story yeah i could see that where if you confront yourself enough it is going to damage you in some way and now that might be productive damage you know you talk about burning forests and stuff like that if it leads you to a place of recovery right um so in putting it in real life churchy terms then and you can say it's the whole god loves broken things thing where you if you believe in, I've insp- never heard that in my life. Uh, well, you're hearing it now. Okay. You, you don't listen. You, you don't, don't listen to much to, country music. If do you, you believe in, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That is, it, it's, that it's is the, correct. It's the idea, though, that if you believe in in inspiration as divine or in receiving divine inspiration, then you have to actually be receptive. You have to have something happen to where you're broken down to where you can receive inspiration from a higher power. Cool. Yeah. There you Do go. You get to the there's a, there's a level three thinking for you. Um, there's another instance of magic in this story that we haven't touched on at all. What's that? Oh, blood, blood magic. Oh, geez. Yeah. That was kind of creepy, but one, so Once cool. again, back to blood magic. I, I appreciated the fact that it, was, it wasn't it was a front, like a, a major player in the story, to, other than just to keep her in check until the very end. But, man, that's... When, you, when we've taken this concept of getting to know yourself and, and being able to, to alter and change things and then to corrupt it in such a great way to say that, look, I, I, can, 
this I can track you. I can do things as long as I have your blood. Um, it was creepy. It, it really took something that's very cool and very you know. Uh, oh, what Deep is, and insightful and yes, personal, and but not psychological. Uh, what's the word? The, the, the class philosophical. That's the the class in college that you all wanted to take. <laughs> <laughs> which is a five. Which is a five syllable word and earns me triple word score for the next three weeks. Yeah, you didn't make it up. But yes, uh, but I did use it. Yeah, it, making up. Is I've lost my I've lost my train of thought, guys. You uh, ruined it. Uh, blood, it's only fair that trackers. we gave it to you because Craig we always do that to Craig. Craig. Yes, we corrupted it. a philosophical principle by making it bloody. That's from, <laughs> I'm take that. <laughs> and all take of our British down. listeners are now offended. Uh, 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 so anyway, I will take this opportunity to tangent ourselves again. Yay. which sounds filthy. Uh, <laughs> But uh, speaking of that guy and his Skeletor dudes who are chasing her down. um, uh, Oh, shoot. What was I going to say? Oh, yeah. Uh, Somebody during that podcast I mentioned during the uh, Writing Excuses podcast, uh, they said, they asked Brandon, why did you have that in there? Why? Why? Why would you do that? Why would you just have an action scene for the sake of it? And he said, well, I mean, there is an element of that. I, I love writing action scenes. I love having something like that in my stories but also it's a Chekhov's gun situation and I was Ah. sitting there waiting from the moment we learned what essence stones were and that she had them and how they worked I'm I'm sitting there going oh well I mean she's got to use them yeah and so at the end of the story when she's kind of making her escape I'm like oh what I I wanted some essence stones or whatever they're called uh, and so I'm, I'm glad that he threw something in there. In fact, there were a couple of things that let him show off just a little bit, that gun that was sitting on the mantelpiece. I wondered I, I, when, when she'd escaped and it said that she had been cut just, just deep enough. Um, I, I didn't make the connection immediately until she said, oh, there's that pain. And then I was like, okay, so we get to see this magic system in use. Yeah. And I got to tell you, it brought back every remembrance of two things. One of them was... The old 1960s Sinbad uh, movie where they fought against animated skeletons, which First I kid. thought was really cool. No, no sorry, um, wrong Sinbad. And, and Sinbad. And the other one was they would make a really cool D and D monster. And oh, sure. I'm I'm I've already started inserting uh, some notes into the adventure that we still need to finish. Harryhausen. Yeah. Harryhausen. That's the, yes. <laughs> that sort of creature, the Clash of the Titans, the right. claymation skeleton. <laughs> oh yeah, that's totally what I was picturing was claymation. Remind um, me, because I I don't remember right now, and that's due to so many things. I think there's one Chekhov's gun that didn't actually end up getting fired. Um, oh, because she they talked repeatedly about the essence mark that would f- make her forget right about yes. that. Right. She doesn't use that if I remember right. No, she doesn't. No, yeah. But I, I think guess. I think the idea was that we had to see the essence marks used at all. We didn't have to and see the, all of them. We and had the to indication see some of them, was yeah. because the indication is if you use that one, then she's gone forever. And I think as Brandon's putting this together, he's probably saying to himself, "Hey, it's a lot more fun to leave this un, un, unfinished right. that way." I, can someone else? I wonder if someone else can activate that essence stone can they put that on her arm or whatever stamp her with her can own they essence stamp mark? her with her own essence mark i would imagine that would be the case because she does that to the emperor I she stamps the emperor yes we am stamped every day which brought me to something that was really interesting and that's the idea of ritual um i i don't know i read a i read a uh 
a blog post on the idea of ritual. It was in uh, Art of Manliness uh, about six months back, um, talking about the idea that that rituals that we perform <coughs> help us solidify who we are and who we want to be. Um, and it just made me think, maybe remember, oh, you're going to have to stamp yourself with this every day. Um, you know, you can tell him it's to, it's to keep him healed. You can tell him you can tell him whatever you want, but it has to be done every day. And it made me think about that. You know, my own daily rituals, whatever they are, they you know, and and I think all of us have different pieces of that. When I am thoughtful about what those rituals are, they do help me make choices differently, and sometimes in a more enlightened way than I might make them otherwise. I found that an interesting insertion toward the end of this that for me personally was very, hey, I like that. I'm, I'm going to remember that. And it made, me, it made me consider how thoughtful I have been lately about those ritualistic pieces of my life. Nice. Duly noted. I feel like we just went into final thoughts without even realizing it. I'm sorry. Did I do that wrong? No, that's fine. I, I, I don't know. Do, uh, do you guys have anything else you want to talk about? Uh, or um, should we go to some final thoughts and whether you recommend the story? I mean, I, I know Ryan does. You talked about yeah uh, it being a good entry point. Ken, what do you think? I absolutely would recommend the story. And I, we didn't talk about it really, but I love the I love the uh, relationship between Shay and Gatona as mm. how it develops. It's just a, a sweet little... You know, I mean, we've got a few minutes. I don't know how much I have to say on the subject, but I know that Brandon considers that one of the central uh, parts of the story is the... the interplay between those two characters and how they kind of mirror each other in a way there's the when she talks about being genuine um and that that was his way of manipulating the situations was by being genuine with others yeah um when he asks her that at the end how you manipulated me and i didn't even know it's like i was real which is the same thing that you've done with everyone else yeah i really i I, and i i liked the way that that relationship was portrayed um and that the way that she came away from it at the end was by saying, everything I told you was true. I've done everything that I said I was going to do. Now I need to get out of here. Yeah, I feel yeah. like there's a there's a lesson that he inserts through the character of Gautona. And he teaches that lesson by making nothing happen. Uh, he, he keeps presenting Gautona as this really great person. He's a man of upstanding moral fiber and he does the right thing and he's honest with people, et cetera, et cetera. And so you spend this whole story waiting for the other shoe to drop. Who is this guy really? What's his, what's his game? What's he up to? And that's the way she thinks throughout the story. And then you get to the final page and he, he wraps up the story and you go, oh, Oh, he was a really good he guy. He really was. <laughs> and there's, I think there's a, a lesson there just in the fact that he left him as a good person. Yeah. Uh, I love that. It uh, reminds me of the uh, high priest to light. Uh, Lightbringer. Lightbringer. Oh, yeah. His friend. Light song. <laughs> light, song. light song. That's right. Yeah. The high priest. Scoot. That, scoot. Yeah. Scoot. <laughs> Whatever. Larimar. Scoot. <laughs> yeah, his, yeah. His name's Larimar, but he calls him Scoot. It, it just reminds me of him that it's you know someone who genuinely cares about this other person. You know, it, it's okay to have a someone who is a a good person and who does not change necessarily change his mind entirely about this soul stamp thing. It's not like he all of a sudden decides to become right. You know, He's not. Become. He doesn't abandon his belief system. He just understands its value slightly differently and that's i think a more real 
change that you could see in other people. Stop playing footsie with me, Ken. That's uh, not me. Uh, whoever it is. That's the ball. <laughs> wow. That's the ball. That's Craig's ball playing footsie with um, you. <laughs> there goes my final thought. Yeah. that's <laughs> well, We made it most of the episode. Yeah. Without me murdering Ken. <laughs> anyway. It's a landmark. Put it down as a red letter. Take a. whatever I was just saying and draw your own conclusion to it. Larmar, <laughs> <laughs> Scoot, good people. That's nice. I would say this is my final thought. Bouncing off of that is he also, he makes a point earlier in the book when, kind of when you see that the uh, Gautana change, uh, the perspective, the perception of him change so that you start seeing, oh, maybe he's not such a bad person. And that's when they're talking about, uh, how being an honest man is often seen as being a mark in the business of forgery. And it's not being an honest man that's the problem. It's being a foolish man. Or what, uh, yeah, yeah. You can be, you can be. Here's the, here's the quote. Oh, okay, good. In her business, there were many who laughed at honest men, calling them easy pickings. That was a fallacy. Being honest did not make one naive. A dishonest fool and an honest fool were equally easy to scam. You just went about it in different ways. However, a man who was honest and clever was always always more difficult to scam than someone who was both dishonest and clever. I like there. cheers to that. Are you, <laughs> Ryan's air guitaring <laughs> over here. Is that is that like Brandon Sanderson's, Sanderson's solo? <laughs> <laughs> That's the end, That's the end of all important thought. And is party this. on dudes. <laughs> wow. Wow. <laughs> we, uh, we're very, we're very... Um, Professional. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I mean that. I was going to say sophisticated people. Oh, there we go. Yes. There we go. Very sophisticated thinkers about the books and, and the words. Uh, okay, Todd, go. <laughs> My last thought. The histories we wish we had can help us create the future we wish to see. Say, yes. say it again. Say it again. The histories we wish we had can help us create the futures we wish to see. Huh, okay, interesting. Uh, that kind of makes me think go like i'm not sure how i feel about that because it makes me think you should in your memories rewrite your past uh and it kind of flies in the face of know thyself i agree Um, i just that was that was the thought that i had is that but because that's what she's done the histories that he that we wish we had help us rewrite the futures we wish to see i would say that the, the the warning on that is not necessarily uh that you're rewriting your history but is what are you taking forward with you um what what do you what concentrate lessons? on from your history? What lessons when, do you take when from you, it? When you look at a moment of, of decision or of choice in your life, you can put, what are you going to take with it in terms of going forward to, to change? And as long as that moment exists, and it will always exist as long as you can remember it, you can always go back and revisit what are you going to take from that moment yeah. mm-hmm. and say, okay, la- you know, I had to revisit this moment in my life and decide that this is how I make a decision. Now I'm going back and saying this is how I, f- you know, how I'm going to feel or respond to things. Just just change that up. Um, it's, I don't know. That, that makes me think a lot of the story. I, a movie that I love is Big Fish. Yeah. Um, where he, he writes these fantastic stories about his life or whatever that are really just you know, it's it's putting a bigger, Wishful thinking. bigger, bigger spin on what actually happens. Uh, but the value of your life is can, can frequently be summed up in the stories that you tell like that. So I think it's worthwhile. I'm going to say it reminded me of Lion King. 
<laughs> the past the past can be hard, but you can either run from it or learn from it. Uh, I it. thought it's I thought That's maybe it was because I'm not supposed to stand downwind of you. <laughs> that that's true. Leave, no, that leave it to Ken. The, the the great lesson in life you can learn is from the warthog and is the from the warthog. <laughs> no, it was from no, it was, was the, from the monkey. That was the lesson that Craig took. The lesson I took was from the monkey. <laughs> it kind of put your past. It didn't, but you're, it's, be, you're behind in your past. But it, it it's true though in the sense that you. What color is that behind? Yeah. Yeah, that's that's the quote from Lion King. You I know. I'm just anyway, that's my that's my takeaway from that. We should we should end this before we become um, I a problem. Do, <laughs> I do have my final thoughts, uh, and it's a question for you guys. Is there any significance in your mind to Gatona throwing the book in the fire at the very end? Ooh. Uh, he learns the truth. He understands how the Emperor operates and how Shay made him the way that she did, and then he throws the book in the fire. Now, it could just be... a uh, uh, a practical matter, you know, to save the the empire, he can't let this fall into the wrong hands. So it could just be that. But I'm wondering if there's anything more to it in your mind. I thought of two things that that two things went off in my head when I when he did that. The first one was if the emperor ever learned about it, it would cause him to question all of the other things that he was doing now moving forward. It gives the emperor a chance to be himself. Um, and and to make those choices without without worrying or without being confronted by the fact that that the place that he comes from his place of origination is a is an abomination. But the other thing that I thought to myself was, and thus he pre- he prevents anyone from understanding what all of the marks on the soul stamp were indicating. Um, so they couldn't uh, alter them. Yeah, Shay had indicated that that yeah, maybe the forger could understand some of it, but they wouldn't ever understand all of it without her notes. And so, by destroying her notes, he perhaps assures that no one else can remake that soul stamp and change the emperor again. Right. Yeah. Uh, cool. Uh, my final final thought would just be that I think it's probably not a mistake that this story was the very first one in Arcanum Unbounded. Um, I, I'm right alongside Ryan in saying if some, if point. somebody wants an entry point and they don't want to invest 700, 800 pages in something, uh, this is a great option. So yeah. if you have your copy of Arcanum Unbounded and you want to recommend Sander to Sanderson to somebody, go ahead and use this one. It's a good one. Uh, cool. You guys good? Should we wrap it up? Good. Sure. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks everybody for listening. Um, go easy uh, on Reddit. I know that this was a tangent-filled weirdo fest, but uh, no, we do appreciate you listening, and we do want to hear from you there or on Facebook or wherever else. Um, and once again, Patreon.com/Legendarium is where you can go to support the podcast, and it's where you can hear all sorts of extra audio that we do not post anywhere else that does not show up in your podcast feed. So go check it out, patreon.com slash legendarium. And uh, we'll see you guys next week for the second installment of our uh, The Great Hunt discussion, uh, book two of The Wheel of Time. And then next month we'll move on to The Dragon Reborn. That one is going swimmingly. I am very much enjoying those discussions. They're a ton of fun. Uh, and I bet most of you, if you're a Sanderson fan, you're probably listening along with those episodes as well. So we appreciate that. Have a good one, everybody. We'll talk to you next week. <laughs>